friends come along with me see how the story ends we are some hippies these are my friends come along with me see how the story ends round 45 if you only knew if you only knew <laughs> welcome back to another episode professional hippies excited to be back with you guys uh, if you're new to us, if you're new to the channel, uh, we like to bridge the gap between hippie woo-woo and professionalism, so everything from like market talk to you know, self-help. And today we got a, a blast from the past, not really, but a long-awaited guest. Joey, how you doing, brother? Uh, doing very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I just really appreciate the fact we got to do the intro like three, four times. So if anything, we'll have some bloopers on this episode, which had, <laughs> had some technical difficulties, but that's all good, man. So yeah, so uh, yeah, let's just kind of bring it back. I mean, I think um, we were talking about um, just kind of the genesis of how you guys got where you're at. I mean, you just recently moved out. That's kind of, we've talked about that on the podcast before, but uh, just kind of catch the listeners up to speed. Where are you at? What are you about? So I started living with Dylan in college, um, by chance. Um, so I was living in a fraternity house and my parents were horrified at what they saw. So they immediately pulled me out of there and they just randomly selected an apartment near USF and just the chance, uh, his roommate moved out the week before. So I was able to snag that spot before anyone else. So then I moved in with him at an apartment near USF and then lived with him there and then another house near USF. And then we went separate ways and then, uh, met up again after college. And then we both realized we wanted to move to St. Pete. And then we immediately linked up, uh, moved to an apartment in St. Pete for about three years and then lived with Dylan, uh, in his house for about two years. So yeah, collectively, it's about like seven years that we live together. So we're basically brothers yeah. at this point. Yeah. A lot of, uh, if walls could talk kind of things. Oh, no, yeah. what, so one of the reasons we're really excited to have you on is, I mean, honestly, your brain, dude, like every time we've <laughs> hung out, just the perspectives you have on things. And I think you'd be impressed to know how many times that Dylan and I reflect based off of the friendship that you have cultivated together or you guys have cultivated together. Cause, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We're all kind of growing in a similar route, like in a similar direction. But um, I'm just excited to have the chance to bring you on here and just kind of chop shop and, and talk about that. But first, just to apologize, I mean, knowing Dylan for seven years, that's that's tough on anybody, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess I just got used to it, you know? You have to. Yeah, so, But curious. I mean, you know, that Dylan's my baseline. So like... Anything after that is just like money, you know. <laughs> we found the red line a, a few times. Yeah, yeah, no, you're in there. Over that. So now that you're uh, you're in your own place, because there is definitely like um, kind of like a transformation that occurs from when you go from living with your boy to living on your own. Yeah. Like, how long have you been on your own now? Um, about six weeks. Yeah, man. That the month leading up to moving out. And then the week of moving out and the couple of weeks after that, um, thankfully I went on vacation, um, with my girlfriend and my family, uh, right after that. So it kind of took my mind off it, but yeah, dude, those weeks leading up to it and that the week I finally did it was like really emotional for me. That was really, really tough. Um, 
I was a lot of emotions, you know, I was, I was definitely excited to finally get on my own. Cause I always wanted to check that box for myself, but, uh, like the uncertainty and also just like missing him and missing living mm-hmm. here. And, um, yeah, it was a really emotional time for me, but you know, reflecting back on that, I'm glad I did it. And it was a lot of necessary growth. Um, yeah, I, I definitely needed that to kind of, uh, reach like the next stage of my life. So mm. good for you for like volunteering. That. I think that's one of the hardest things about like moving into a new chapter in life, especially as a man is just admitting like, Hey, there's a lot of emotions that come up. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. I'm not afraid to admit my emotions. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so like, but once, once you get past that, like four or six week mark, then you kind of settle into like the new era where you're like, okay, yeah, everybody talks up the being naked thing. I think it's just like not having to worry about anybody else, period thing. Dude, I've barely yeah. been naked. I've like, uh, you know, I, I, but I've definitely embraced my new place. Um, the first week was definitely weird. Um, but did I've totally settled in and like everything's, everything's fire in there. Like. I love it. Like I've gotten the best sleep I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> and and like you said, we were talking um, off the air, but um, I'm definitely like comfortable in silence. You know, I can be by myself. Um, I can be alone with my thoughts. Um, I do have like a natural like introvert uh, coloring to my personality. Um, so yeah, I'm totally embracing being by myself. Shred. Until he shreds the guitar. I was going to say, that's literally what I said, shred. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's all cool. It's like, <laughs> there's one thing, there's one thing to be said for like having that camaraderie with your boy, like, especially when Michael and I live together. But, um, there's also another thing, like you got to have a relationship with yourself too. Yeah. You know, and, and it's pretty tough to deepen that relationship with yourself when there's always someone in your space. I mean. Is it possible? Yeah, for sure. But I think uh, I think you look back on this as one of the most peaceful times in your life. That's for fucking true, especially for a woman gets up in that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been peaceful. Um, but yeah, uh, like you said, like definitely being comfortable with yourself, I think, is really important. Like for for anybody, um, because otherwise you're just going to be filling the void with distractions. And if you can't, if you can't be comfortable by yourself, then like, you're just not comfortable as a person, you know, that's your square one. Like you need to be, you need to have a solid foundation in your square one. Like you need to just be able to sit and meditate. And if you can't do that, then you can't tell me that you're a happy person. Mm. You know, I can tell you I'm a happy person, but I can also tell you, I really fucking struggle with sitting down and meditating, man. There was a a (laughs) thing from... Sam Harris, just a dialogue where he expressed, you know, if you're sitting in the waiting room for the dentist and you get bored, boredom is really just a sign of an untrained mind. Yes. And I love that. Cause like now when I go and I'm, I'm like getting my oil changed or whatever, you know, I feel like yesterday I went to go play disc golf and, um, you know, I'm just by myself and kind of observing shit, had a podcast on and the service was pretty terrible. So like it took a moment for the podcast to load. I just heard some nature and I was like, oh, this is nice. Like, I'm just going to sit with this for a little bit. It's dry as fuck out here. So, you know, it's not like vibrant. It's all kind of dead <laughs> and shit. 
And so you're just like kind of crunching along. It's hot. You're sweating. And you're like, hey, this is cool. I'm really grounded. And like 15 minutes later, you're like, this fucking sucks. I want a distraction. You know, you just feel, <laughs> feel a little rat brain go crazy. But I'm with you, man. I mean, <laughs> meditation is a great square. It's, it's great uh, ground zero, if you will, for just finding, finding some inner peace and um, cultivating that. Yeah. And to touch on, touch on that, like the untrained mind part. Um, I think I learned that probably from like Joe Rogan is just filling your life with things you enjoy. So, you know, I, I train martial arts, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically. Um, I play guitar all the time when I'm home. I read, I journal, um, like I research like financial stuff. Like, so there's always something to be done. Like there's always something that active that I can do, you know, and even aside from that stuff, like I'll just go for a walk, you know, like there's always things that I can fill my day with that I enjoy. And I I've reflected on this a few times, but sometimes I actually forget what it feels like to be bored. I actually forget what that felt like because the last two to three years, I've always, I always have a drive to just be doing something. Like I'm always, I always want to be learning something and just giving my mind something to chew on. You know, like if it's learning a new song or, you know, reading a new book or like researching a new company or something, I'm always, I'm always giving my mind something to chew on throughout the day. He's one of the most regimented people I know with like always something to do. Like once the hour ends, then all of a sudden there's something else to do. All right, we're done with that. Now we're going to move on to the next thing all the way up to the point where he's going to bed. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something to be said for that. I mean, having a schedule, like that's something that I've always struggled with, but atomic habits, that guy's a big, big fan and, and believer. And so am I of discipline creates freedom, right? So yes, like, I was literally just thinking that. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you have the ability to sit down and especially when you see like guitar is a great example where that will come out and play. It's like, Hey man, if you're consistently practicing that every day, allowing like your mood fluctuations to come and go, but allowing the action to take place, you're going to see a creative spirit really foster as a result of discipline. And those, those two in my mind, like we're always kind of opposite of each other, like always at war, creativity and discipline. Well, credit to Dylan for putting up with my 10,000 hours of shitty guitar playing before it actually started sounding good. Dude, it, so thank you it very was, much for that patience. It, it was interesting really going from where he was at and really listening to like really just practicing chords all the way up to just hearing the blues, you know, all of a sudden all, before he's moving out, you know, really, you know, being able to be like, hey, play this and he could you know, kind of pick it up or giving him a song, you know, he might not have practiced it, but he can hear it and get a little, you know, get pretty good at it pretty quickly. So that was, you know, and hearing something that he's been practicing, let's say over five years in the beginning, just hearing it sound like shit to now being smooth and crisp. That was pretty neat. You know, it got me excited to even want to pick it up and just because of like, Oh, if you put in the process, this is what it turns into. Yeah. It was pretty neat. Like hearing, hearing that process. It's incredibly satisfying, man. Like, <clears throat> I remember even, like, growing up, like, I always wanted to be able to play. I always idolized, like, guitar players and stuff. And it's it, it's really weird that I've kind 
I wouldn't say I've come full circle. I'm not a master or anything, but if, if I were a kid listening to me play now, I would be amazed. Like there's songs that I can play now when I was a kid, like 12 years old, I'd be like, man, if I could just learn how to do that, if I could just play that Jimi Hendrix song. I'll be happy. And I literally just, I played that for my girlfriend last week and just effortlessly. And I reflected on that after I was done, like, oh my God, I'd, I'd be so happy with myself. Like if my 12 year old self saw that, like his mind would have been blown. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, it's incredibly satisfying. And that extends to more, to more than just like playing guitar, but like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, like I mentioned, um, and even just like fitness, like eat, like getting your body in good shape and like getting that momentum there. It's like, when you finally get that momentum, you don't even, it's not even like an active thought and you just like breathe it. It's just like one day, like every day I'm just going to go train or I'm going to go work out or I'm going to play guitar. And it's like, you just breathe it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That fluidity, it just kind of, it just kind of flows out of you. And that's, that's really what's most satisfying about it at all is that I don't really even have to try anymore. It's just, it's just a part of me. Was there a point when you were integrating these parts, though, that you felt a lot of resistance? I mean, a lot of the stuff you just described is really healthy habits, right? So, I mean, come on. Like, there's got to be a point where you're like, I don't feel like playing today. I don't want to go train. Oh, totally, dude. Yeah, that, it, that happened, that's a daily thing. Yeah, there's, like, I, I'm making the decision to do it. You know, there's always, like, 5% of me that's like, eh. But, um yeah, some weeks are better than others. I mean, and some days are better than others. You know, sometimes I guess it sometimes on my mood, I'm just, I just don't want to do it, but making the decision to do it daily. That's, you know, that's where the freedom comes from. What do you do when you don't feel like doing it? Netflix (laughs) or video games. been a long time i miss your ps5 oh yeah that's right you we i was using this ps4 for a while all of a sudden you know christy gifts me with a ps5 and all of a, all of a sudden everything switches over <laughs> i'm scared to think about you, what would happen if we got one of those in our household I've got a strict no consoles in a house. I mean, I got this fucking DJ, man. I love playing music on there and I, I don't hardly ever do it anymore. You know? Well, that's why I think you always say you would get addicted to the, the PlayStation. Right. But like, I thought the same thing, but I have so much going on. I forget that I even have it sometimes. And then when, I, when I get to that point where I'm like, Oh, I have nothing to do tonight. Then I'll jump on to it. But I thought the same thing. I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to get addicted to it and play it all the time. But I think you would play DJing over a PlayStation any day and you don't even do that as much. I think there's an element of self-awareness here that I can invite where it, 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 it gets ugly. I just, I get way too competitive <laughs> and it's not, it's just not healthy. It's just, I've seen it. I've seen it play out way too many times. Where you're just, you're just going to get one of those games where it's just blood and murder and you're like blood and murder, blood and murder. <laughs> what gets me is the ones like FIFA. Or like oh. Madden, because God forbid you have like a close loss and you're like, I know exactly what I did wrong. And then you're like, I, I, just one more game. Like the 23 minute games where you can fit in almost like three games an hour, four games an hour. Yeah. 
yeah, that's that's where you get fucked up. That's... Dude, you're telling me when I was a kid, uh, my favorite game was like college football, like two NCAA football 2003 or uh, four yeah. or whatever it was. Dude, I can't tell you how many controllers I smashed into pieces <laughs> because I was so furious that my Miami Hurricanes that had like 99 stats for every player lost to some bullshit team. Like, dude, my <laughs> my dad bought like 100 controllers for me. I can see that so much. <laughs> I can't see that at all. You don't come across as that guy. You're cool, calm, collected. Well... Maybe get all the Earlier, he was like, child. I just meditate. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, just meditate. <laughs> Your dad came in and just meditate. So he's like, fuck this. <laughs> just slams it. I just don't see that. That's so funny. What's funny, and my dad is a Buddhist, too. He is a practicing Buddhist. <laughs> and he'd just no be like, shit. I can't believe what's coming out of my son right now. <laughs> yeah, he, he teaches mindfulness meditation uh, over in Tampa. That that's too cool, man. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Wow. Okay. Now I understand like the sense of stoicism. Maybe I mean maybe that wasn't departed on you. Maybe oh. that's in a, a, a later sense. But dude, I'm so glad you said that word because I'm in a stoicism rabbit hole. You getting a stoic? I, I just <laughs> major one. Yeah. I just <laughs> finished uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations, I'm and that man. is like that's one of the best books I've ever read. It's probably the most impactful book I've ever read. Um, it's a big claim. Not at first, not at first glance, mm -hmm. but I started listening to like the daily stoic podcast and then listening to that alongside reading it. Like I've already reread a bunch of passages, a bunch of times, and now I'm reading letters from a stoic by Seneca. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm in a huge, like, stoicism rabbit hole. I really, really love the philosophy. I love – it's, like, literally everything we've just been talking about. It's, like, it's actively deciding each moment to live a virtuous life and to um, incrementally get better every day. Yeah. That's, that's stoicism. What I, what I really liked about the Stoics is that, if I'm not mistaken, which I'm, I'm pretty certain on this, that they were, like, quite literally at, at the pinnacle. I mean, these are, you know, like, people look at someone like a, a Da Vinci. So, like, um, mm -hmm. a Renaissance man, right, where they were willing to take a step back at some pivotal moment in their life, typically a decade or less or more, somewhere around that benchmark, and go, hey, I want to reinvent myself. Whereas the Stoics, I mean, they... These were guys that were warriors, you know, high-level merchants, um, just practitioners of a lot of different arts. So, like, they, when you look at the triangle, I mean, they were at the very tippy top. So, they weren't just, like, philosophers giving out some kind of advice. Like, these were guys that mm -hmm. they would kind of be equivalent to, uh, you know, like, like Elon if he was fucking ripped, giving some advice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Marcus Aurelius was literally the emperor of Rome. He was an emperor philosopher. He had like the world at his fingertips. He had like unattainable wealth, but he was like the one of the most enlightened people on the planet as well. And that, that's why I think it's one of the best books ever written because that book is are his private thoughts. It was never intended to be a book. So you're literally reading the private thoughts of like one of the most complete human beings. And one of, and one of the most underrated human beings in human history, in my opinion. Underrated. 
Underrated. I mean, where are you going to put them? Top 10? Top 100? Yeah, easy. Top 10. A lot, of, a lot of humans came through. You know that, right? A few, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I'm going to have to check that out. I didn't actually know it. So that, so was this more of like um, like a, a distilling practice? He was writing for himself, kind of like journaling, and him trying to maybe like distill his thoughts onto paper? Or how did this catalog yeah. come to be? Yeah, I mean, that's a stoic practice. Like, you can't be a stoic without journaling. Every major stoic journaled. You know, you have to review your day. You have to take an honest look at your day. Um, yeah, that's literally every morning he would get up and just write down his thoughts at the end of the day, write down his thoughts. And, yeah, hi highly recommend that book. What was the name of it again? Is that like you're just judging yourself throughout the day, what your day was like and how you can improve on that? Yeah, it's just like is yeah, that that this happened, okay. and I'm feeling this way, or or he'd or he'd reflect on something like he's reflecting on his death, or he's, you know, reflecting on, you know, all these people are at being assholes, like how you should treat people, like, mm. um, not being able to control what happens to you, but being able to control how you react to it, you know, that that's like a huge part of that book. It's kind of like what I guess what people have come along where they have like a, a thought process that comes along during the day, right? And then they just think about it. They're like, oh, yeah, that's that's right. I should do that. And then they just forget about it. And I guess that's a way better way to record and reflect back on it. If that situation comes up down the road, you know how to like you what you thought it should how it should be done. It makes a, it's like a dictionary. Instead of looking at words, how to solve problems. Yeah. Um, it's like a really effective way to learn too. It's just like, just like the practice of like writing it and like feeling the thought flow through your hand and onto the paper. It's just like, there's something about it that just makes you learn it like 10 times better, you know? Yeah. How many of like those journals you think got lost in the library of Alexander? I don't even want to think about it. That's like the, that's like the biggest crime against humanity was like the burning of that library. All those scholars that were doing that gone. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the that's why you're doing it about um, <laughs> kind of oral history as well. Is that like when you just take a zoomed out approach at humanity and they kind of start to pull these threads of like for eons. That's how we just passed information was orally. So it was like looking right. between the lines of the story and it's like, all right, what's the moral here? What's the message? Not necessarily what's the delivery mechanism, but a lot of conspiracy theories kind of run with this as well, where we talk about, Hey, like floods, things coming from space. Like these are all parables that have been passed down generation to generation. And I want to say, um, I'm gonna have to chew on this thought that there was a civilization that, did a remarkable job of passing down information. I, I learned from a podcast recently. Um, it was really well documented, but regardless, I mean, that is just kind of the fun part about transcribing something to paper, right? Cause it's, it's literal versus passing information orally because mm -hmm. there's the telephone game, right? So you, you gotta like right. make this really fun story, have it really detailed, but also there has to be like a skeleton that can't be fucked up. So that's kind of, one of the fun things about human history is that yeah, you know, the, there's stuff that like we take very literally that was meant.
to be interpreted. Like it was meant to be deciphered, not taken as literal. Hinting at a, a book, of course, here, but um, you kind of pick my drift, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, like, yeah, you're talking about the Bible. Right, like yeah, there's, yeah, so, sure. there's so many different translations and so many different, like even just telling the story, you know. Like in, in certain kings, like certain kings, like wanted certain details to be taken out and stuff like that. So it's just, yeah, it's amazing how things have changed over time. The same story could change so much over time. Yeah. Or even as you're talking about that, you know, when we talk about how much history was lost and, and the burning of that library, I mean, just think about, Dylan, didn't we talk about this on one podcast? I think uh, we got pretty ripped when we're talking about it. If everything was deceased, like if we had a, if we had a gray sky, you know, like we had, I don't remember what the cataclysmic number is for nukes. I think it's somewhere around like 17 of like the big boys go off. We create like this gray cloud cover that creates like a new ice age, Some, something, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's say, okay, we kill off all the humans. How long until there's really no record or evidence that we were here? Like, what is that? 50,000 years, 20,000 years. I mean, skyscrapers aren't I was thinking about long. this yesterday on that like on, on the recording like music right so I was thinking about Spotify and every time a music is played right the digital impact on that music being played wears a little bit more and I was wondering like how often of course people are playing it but then let's say we lose the digital route right so you lose the digital route with Spotify or Apple music now you're left with records but then all of a sudden those records are played over and over again. Eventually they start skipping and everything starts going and eventually things just start depleting. Right. So like there's literally nothing that can last forever. And how long does that take for it to be gone? And the only thing that can last forever as the longest are the stones. Right. So that's why we have like the Sphinx that's still there. One of the oldest things on earth, I would say that's man-made. Mm -hmm. But even that has a ton of water erosion. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of contention, like what the actual dating of those artifacts are, whether whether that was like Graham Hancock talks about, like that was mm -hmm. maybe 10,000 or 11, like during like the, that big cataclysmic event. Um, or is it really, as they say, like, what is it, 4,000 years ago is like the general consensus? Some, somewhere the Egypt, between two like and the four, Egyptology yeah. consensus. Yeah. So, but even that, even something like that, that's like maybe three or if you believe in Graham Hancock, uh, like 10,000 years ago, even that already has a bunch of water erosion. So like, mm -hmm. that won't last forever either. You know, everything's always changing. Well, right now what they're looking to do, some scientists are looking to store a lot of information in DNA, which is pretty cool. So like silica right now, I mean, is, is a great store of information there, uh, in the, the Northern seed vaults, Have you guys heard about the seed vaults? No. Yeah. yeah. So like if uh, an apocalyptic event happens, like all the nations, like there's this international treaty. I mean, we're talking Russia, everybody donates to the seed vault to protect seeds in case we have an apocalyptic event that we can um, kind of like, you know, pull these guys out and regerminate them and things like that. So in the seed vault, we also have some other like silica records that we can store incredible amounts of information. We can cold store this information um, onto these records. And so it's some of the brightest minds are very driven to help us preserve what we have, but it's, it's also kind of like this, um, uh, fool's paradox of 
for how long and for what purpose, right? Like, even if it's there, mm-hmm. who, like, how do we know, right? Like, like the elements are going to take all, like the earth reclaims all, you know? So like I was at uh, Red Rocks not too long ago and somebody was bringing up like littering. I was like, the earth doesn't care, man. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, (laughs) (laughs) the earth doesn't give a fuck. And he was like, no, like save the planet. And I was like, bitch, save yourself. Save the humans. (laughs) It ain't save the planet. The planet was here before you got here. It's going to be here after. Don't worry about the planet. (laughs) Worry about you, bitch. And he was like, oh shit, you're right. (laughs) I was like, we're trying to save ourselves, motherfucker. This this is save your beachfront property. This ain't save the planet. Toss that beer can, man. <laughs> I do. Motherfucker throwing a balloon around. I'm like, hey. I kill a turtle somewhere. It was it was interesting when we were in uh Hawaii and it was talking about how the islands are formed, right? There's a hot spot that's forming the islands. And then the island moves off the hot spot. So now it's starting to form another island. Well, you know, let's say there's what, four or five islands out there right now. There were other islands before and they've just eroded away mm. and now they're underwater, yeah. you know? So now how many times has that happened in the past or when, how many more times is going to happen with like, let's say Pangea, there was that and all that landmass that maybe civilizations were built on are now underwater. I wonder how much civilization is underwater. Atlantis. Of that. Atlantis. Or is Atlantis in Antarctica under a bunch of ice? Or You know what I mean? Like, what, what's under all that ice? Hmm. What, what's at the bottom of the ocean? Like, we've how, mu- how much have we actually mapped of the ocean floor? A fair amount. You know what I mean? Actually, we, fair amount. Uh, so people want to say, like, hey, like, 4 to 14%, something like that, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. but th- there's also ways that we can peer into the ocean and hey maybe we're not mapping it directly but like we, we do have an ability to, to predict within a certain sense where things are it it's also like saying like how much of the sahara have we mapped which sure, we have satellites we we mapped all of it so it's not necessarily a fair comparison but when it's a desolate wasteland which is what most of the ocean is a lot of people want to give credence to the the fantasy the idea of like well just because we haven't mapped it i mean it's like i'll play into that with it but i guess i guess how much of it's under the sand and the ocean right like so think about south america how much we haven't discovered there until now that we have lidar to be able to see underneath everything so how much of the ocean has been mapped using lidar to see what's underneath everything i think that might be what they're talking about i mean so here's the difference right so when we talk about detailed imaging and mapping um the commercial fisherman is not mapping the the, the seafloor when they're trolling, right? So <laughs> they're dragging they're just the doing shit fucking drag nets. out of it. So these guys know where fish fishing populations are. They know where like crustacean population are. They, they know where shit's at, right? Because like we know where currents flow. So like that that's the only piece of information I like to introduce into that is that we don't need to fucking map uh, the Mojave Desert to know that there's sand there. Right, like these guys, there's there's a, a certain general consensus. Oh shit, there like, is. We've laid enough, uh, <laughs> we've laid enough work over the ocean to know where like a lot of stuff is. So mapped, maybe four percent, fourteen percent. Understood, I would say probably sixty percent. 
right? I, I think like the, yeah, there's water and fish out there. Yeah, it's like I mean, I don't know. Um, it's pretty dark. And the Titanic. Don't and I'm about saying that all one. that is alignment, man. So I could be, I could be corrected so fucking hard if a, a marine biologist came on right, you know, right now, right? Like, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not taking any kind of pretense to that, but I, I, I think it's also just like, hey, there's a there's a kind of a, a nuance in everything, and, and especially in that, it's like, I don't know. I mean, what 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 are you gonna do, right? We're gonna go out there and fucking find Atlantis. Um, yes, I mean, yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. Let's do that yeah. no, next weekend. My, my comment that I wanted to itch at was Occam's razor, right? The idea that hey, the simplest answer is probably the the right answer. And so when it comes to something like Pangea, when people try to deny something like Pangea, it's like, well, <clears throat> you know, my left hand looks like my right hand. So I'm going to assume that um, these are my hands, right? It's like, yeah, it's not, this is not fucking spaghetti noodles. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> that's one way to put some it. people, Depends. they look at South America <laughs> and they look at Africa and they go, coincidence. Or they look at the Gulf of Mexico and they're like, no, that probably just sunk on its own. Definitely not a meteor. But it, like and over and over and over again, you just smush them to fucking together. And you're like, no, that looks like it all was together at one point. Like that's Occam's razor, right? Like the simple yeah. answer is probably the right answer. So mm-hmm. I just get really frustrated when people are like, no, no, God created it that way. I'm like, okay. sure, yeah, no. 2,000 years ago. 6,000. 6,000 years ago. That's all. <laughs> well, to do a nice segue, how about that Amazon earnings call today? Dude. How they saved the market. You know, go from ocean to our Lord and Savior, Did Jeff Bezos. Did all the Bezos. earnings reports come out today? Is that what the market jumped 100%? <laughs> um, there, there's, there's a few things going on. Um, the biggest thing is that Jerome Powell came out yesterday and uh, he hinted that they're going to pause rate hikes eventually. And by eventually, I mean within the next couple of months. Um, the Fed loves to do this. Like They love to just come out and they like to hint at what they're going to do to kind of show <laughs> their hand so that they, they can let the markets kind of do the work for them. Right. So, so it's not a shock to the system. in. Exactly, because they don't they don't want to be blamed for the drawdowns. They don't want to be blamed for the blood for it. So, it, it and that's it's really kind of genius. Like they they have like a bunch of voting members. They go on to CNBC and or Powell and his um, press conferences after the meetings. You know, he'll just like make he'll slip in a comment like, "Oh yeah, you know, I kind of want to see this, and if I see that, then." <laughs> and maybe maybe we'll slow down the rate hikes, and that's that's really the biggest reason why we've had such a big drawdown this year in stocks is because the market didn't investors didn't know how many rate hikes were going to come this year, yeah. and they didn't know how bad inflation was going to be, and I, I mean we've seen the inflation, but and we've seen a lot of the hikes, but there was still uncertainty as far as how far the hikes were going to go because. The fundamental tool that investors use to calculate companies' cash flows in the future, like on a discounted cash flow, is with the Fed's fund rate. So if you are uncertain how far or how high that's going to go, 
your investors want to protect themselves to the downside. And so they're going to overestimate and overcorrect, right? So they're going to sell more aggressively. The one thing that the market hates more than anything is uncertainty. Oh, it's going to steal it right yeah. out of your mouth. Hey, before we talk about uh, uncertainty oh. more, um, can you guys debate on what the best condiment is? I'm going to go get a beer real quick. <laughs> That's why you always bring it too. Maybe honey mustard. Oh, 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 oh. we had a whole episode once about the rating mayonnaise. I think the best one might be ranch. Ranch is a pretty solid one. Yeah, that's pretty solid. You can go on a lot of things, but you know, you got to be a little classier than that. You can't put like ranch on a steak. You know, you got to be a human being. I mean, can you put? You said honey mustard. Can you put, yeah, you can't do that either. But you can't put A1 sauce on everything. That's true. But like then again, some people would argue if the, you do have to put sauce on the steak, is the steak even good? Oh, God. I had the best steak. Dude. Yeah, you know, I don't really put – I don't put sauce on steak. I try not to, but sometimes it's pretty good. Like if you go to a steakhouse and they have their own steak sauce, yeah. steak sauce. Like Burns or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steakhouse. All right, we're back in. Um, yeah, I didn't check the earnings. He said honey mustard, by the way. His favorite one. That's just the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> Is that your favorite? That's your go-to? Definitely not versatile, but very powerful. Chicken fingers. Oh, dude. Bam. Some honey mustard on some chicken fingers? What are you talking about, baby? Get out of here. The festival go-to for me. Mm. It's either a euro or chicken fingers and honey mustard. No, but I, I do want to talk about the market, seriously, I like because I think right now it's kind of like a yeah. really... I've been watching a lot of uh, talking heads, you know, people I really respect. And um, one of the things that I love that's kind of this general consensus, this theme that's coming out, is that no one recession looks like the last or previous recessions, although that's how we like yeah. to model them. And so right now we have record unemployment. So like unemployment's really low. Inflation's really high. We have an incredible amount of demand for housing, but the supply is getting shorted. The interest rates are going up. So it's like, dude, this tension is unreal. And like, we don't know what fucking direction this is going to go. Everybody, I think the, what the government is hoping for and the Fed is hoping for is just kind of like a, like a freeze, just like a stabilization. Cause like soft landing, like the, infl like the inflation has to like, we're going to see that reflected in the market. You know, I, when's the last time we had mm -hmm. deflation? Does that historically ever happen? Uh, maybe in, like the forties, like after, cause like the markets completely collapsed. Well, in the, in the thirties after the great depression and maybe I mean, you can argue that this lat cause money's not moving at that point. Right. No, I mean, you can argue like any massive technological shift as technology uh, causes deflation. You know, if you can make things more efficient for a business that, drives the cost of the business down and that, you know, that creates deflation. So that's, that's kind of Kathy Wood's whole thesis is like she invests behind like innovative companies and she thinks, I think she overestimates um, the role of deflation 
I think I think I think she might be right, but I think she's ten years early or twenty years early. I mean, most predictions are right. Like that's uh, the, like the one thing is certain. I, I was looking for the book really quickly when I was um, reaching for a brewski. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up, but like it, it's kind of the idea behind uh, what I expressed earlier is that no recession looks like the next recession. So, like, what happened to 08? That is not a benchmarker for what's going to happen again. Like, that's just that, that's trying to predict hurricanes with the past hurricanes. Like, that's just not how it works. Yeah. Right? It'll let you know shit's going to get fucked up. And right now, I think the general consensus is shit's going to get fucked up. We got a lot of people overexposed, especially a lot of companies. It was interesting hearing, like, the CEO of BlackRock come out mm-hmm. several months ago. And he was like, y'all, everyone, it, he was... T- Saying everyone get ready because we're about to see something we've never seen before. Yeah. It's just the fact that the Fed is tightening into a natural economic slowdown. And the fact that the United States, who's the creditor of the world, has like 130% debt to GDP ratio. Like the reason why we got out of the 70s was because we had like a 30% debt to GDP ratio. And so if you listen to like a bunch of Bitcoiners, They'll say, you know, this is obviously not sustainable and, you know, you're just going to inflate your dollars away. Like there's, you know, there's no, there's no hard money anymore. Once we went off the gold standard in 71, you know, the currency has just been debased ever since. Like, I think we've lost like 99% of our purchasing power since the dollar actually became, yes, became the uh, world reserve currency. 99%. But the thing I love to bring that back. I'm I'm a big proponent for crypto. I think uh, I'm really bullish on it. And I'm, um, yeah, regardless, I mean, where I stand on, on a lot of stuff, the, the thing that backs the currency and the reason why like the dollar is kind of the mainstay, in my opinion, tanks. I mean, it's really just faith, right? Faith in our tanks. But yeah. I mean, yeah, Power. it's like people want to bitch about how much we spend on the military, me included. You want to talk about a dumpster fire of fucking resources. God bless. It's a, amazing how fast our military can burn money. But what we get in exchange for that is power, influence, right? Like no one wants to talk about our satellite states, you know, and, and how many embassies we have set up, how many forward operating bases we have all across the globe. All the shit that's going on in Russia right now, the only reason they got a, a fucking tight sphincter is because of us, right? I mean, yeah, sure, NATO, but what's in NATO? Us, right? So, like, what, what's backing all of this credit? It's our GDP. And it's just astounding to me that our GDP outperformed somewhere like China, where they've, they've got us quadrupled up on just people, on bodies. And so, somehow, our ability to innovate to stay ahead of some kind of technology curve, some kind of efficiency curve, some ability to ideate our way out of problems has kept us at the center of the breadbasket of the world, like gluing this whole motherfucker together. But I would side with the crypto guys and say like, hey man, this this, this isn't, you can't just keep punting. You know, at, at some point there's gonna be some kind of re- repercussion. Yeah, and that's why I treat my Bitcoin as just a hedge like that. That is my hedge for all shit hits the fan. And then everybody looks for 
a new reserve currency. Like I think that's a very real possibility. And uh, going back to what you were saying about like China, you know, at least in the, at least in America, we have like a semblance of a free market. Like there's manipulation behind the scenes, but you never want to bet against America. That's why like, I love, I love our stock market and we, we're such an engine for growth. Uh, like China, even though they have like how many times the amount of people we do, they will never be us. They will only ever be able to steal our good ideas because they don't believe in free markets. And that, that growth will just never naturally occur there. And I think ultimately we, we will prevail. Like, I don't think China will ever be uh, like the leading power or the lead reserve currency. I think, I think America will remain that. I'm going to say this now and hopefully my kids get to hear it. I think they will. And and here's why I think what's going to happen is that there's going to be a massive civil unrest. I think there's going to be a, a civil war, not between the people, but between the machine that is their governing body and the people, there's going to be a massive uprising. And that rift is, is going to allow some kind of um, free market to come forward. There's going to be some kind of freeing renaissance. We've seen this happen over and over and over again in empires throughout the world's history, where at some point something gives, a levy gives, there's a crack in the facade of the power. And that's what China is, right? It's this illusion of legacy, respecting elders, respecting power, respecting who we are, you know, like this, this uh, elusive, this ethereal governing body above them, you know, whether it's the government or whether it's like family tradition and history, I think at some point that's going to give. And, and that's going to be the thing that allows the people to, once, once all of that bullshit settles, they're really smart. They're really driven. Right. And, and I mean, that's just kind of my outlook is that, Hey, empires come and go. And I, I think what America is doing is just not sustainable on a lot of fronts, you know? And so I, I, I think in my lifetime, I don't, I don't see that happening. Right. But eventually I, I do see um, how hungry they are as a civilization. It's just a people as a commonwealth, something, something giving, like you kind of see it with the tension with Taiwan right now, you know, and, and you saw a lot with like, um, was it Tokyo that they had a, that, you know, a lot of the bullshit going down with the, the protests and stuff like that or Hong Kong, Beijing, Beijing, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. Yeah. Hong Kong. I mean, there's a lot of people that, I mean, but then you also, to counter that, right, to play my own devil's advocate, you have things like, um, was it the, the way, way chat, like the social currency that they have going on. So it's not like the government's stupid, right? Mm -hmm. The digital one. Like they, they also are tracking all the people for a fucking reason, right? They're putting the social currency system in place mm -hmm. for a reason. So AI is another thing to wade into this, right? How that's going to influence the markets. You know, so whatever it is that, that is going to be either the, the thing that cements America's legacy or the, be the thing that destabilizes it is going to be something we don't know. It's not on our radar right now. Like that's probably the only thing I would, I would hedge a bet against. Um, it's all, uh, they were putting tanks in front of their national banks because people were trying to make a run on the banks to get their money out. Yep. Saw that. Who was? That's what China, that's, China did. Yeah, the people when? did. That's how we went to the Great Depression. Last week? Last week, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> they were having to put tanks out 
in the military to keep people from going in and pulling it out. Why were people making a run on the banks? Protests. Yeah, and that's just what happens like during liquidity crisis, right? Like they, their, their real estate market was melting down. I've heard about the real estate. I didn't hear anything yeah. about people like that's like hyperinflation status. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what's starting to happen over there is that they're the government's kind of really starting to lose control on on their governance over things. I mean, exactly what we were just talking about. What could be happening could already be happening. Yeah. No. I mean, the Mike Baker, he's the guy I really respect. I, I got introduced to him through the Rogan podcast and been following some of his stuff. Like one of the things that I loved, I mean, you're talking about a guy, do you guys know Mike Baker? Have you heard? Yeah. yeah sure. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I love about um, his outlook is after having such a tenured experience in the government is talking about the government as an entity, as a machine, right? So when, when we yeah. see stuff happen, like under any presidency, that's just a great example of like, that's a figurehead. That bitch can go like the machine doesn't give a fuck, right? Like, so like anybody that gets out of line mm. of what the machine wants, like the machine doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like it's an entity in itself. Like people like, like a corporation is an entity for a reason. Like it, it has like its own, it has its own drive as it its own influence. Right. And so I, that's one of the things that I find mm. really interesting about government, like in China, now that they're getting kind of shaky, like, the entity doesn't know how to shift, right? Well, the, the people are the fuel. The people are the power. So if the people lose faith in the machine, they say, fuck this tractor. I want that one, right? That one, that one works. This one sucks. So like once the people get all shifty, that's, that's when the machine gets like, uh, 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 what do we do, right? What levers do we start smashing, you know? So that's interesting. I didn't hear about that. Um, fuck. Putting tanks in front of a bank. I mean, that's one way to control your people, I guess, right? <laughs> it's one way to do it. What do you got? I wonder what if their uh, like economy is, you know, their their stock markets are humming as good as ours are. Oh, their stock market is terrible. Is it? Like in comparison to ours, it will always be like head and shoulders below us. It will never be, it will never have our level of stock market because we have much more of a free market, you know, and we, and we have the best, we, we have the best businesses in the world that have the best products in the world. You know, we have the best customer base in the world. You can't, I was just hearing Trump right there. That was just some good old patriotic shit right there. So. Yeah. No, it is. (laughs) How many markets are there? Like there's China's ours, Japan, Japan, um, Britain, uh, UK stock market. Um, Saudi did Arabia. See last week, Russia and China just no. formed a new world reserve currency. Russia had one. I did. I saw a blurb about that. I didn't read it, but I, you know that's what. And that's funny. Like a lot of Bitcoiners have been theorizing that too, as they're trying to. Are they trying to create like a commodity backed currency, like backed by oil or backed by gold? I mean, one thing that's definitely happening is in the resource market, all of the countries that were dependent on that titty are realizing they need to be independent. And so if you, if you don't have the natural resources to be independent, well, you're going to turn to renewable resources, right? Because nearly every single country qualifies for renewables. And so you could see a really big push over that over the next decade of countries just kind of like and until you have the incentive for the sting, it doesn't make sense. Like that's always been the argument, 
right? Mm-hmm. Is that like, ah, you know, it's it's just tough. It, it's, it's just not on front burner, front burner kind of action. Right now is kind of a great example where the countries are feeling the sting of being dependent on another country. And so like, hey, uh, you know, now, now it's probably moving up the docket a bit where it's like, what can we do to offset this? If not being completely independent, like really mitigate that so that we can put this in a nominal range. If something like this was to happen again, where we only see like a 30, 40% surge instead of something that's just plain not doable. Right. Yeah. I think nuclear power is going to have a huge resurgence. Like uh, Germany, I think reported that they're going to have three new, new power plants that are going to be online within six weeks, all because of, this war in Ukraine and realizing like their green agenda backed them into a corner. You know, they're so militant on their green agenda that even, even Trump like told them to their face, like, why are, why are you allowing yourself to be so dependent on this one entity for oil? And they, you know, and they shut down like all their nuclear power plants. But I read somewhere uh, that they're going to have three plants operational within the next couple of months. And that definitely, Makes me worry a little less. What makes me worry is how many nuclear power plants we have that are like from the 60s. Did you guys know that? Yeah. Do we have a bunch? We have some old nuclear power plants. Like that's a big thing. Well, it's infrastructure in America in a nutshell. I mean, most of our infrastructure problems come from when we originally created interstates. So like when we're like, Hey, you know, we need to create some kind of like federalized program. So like the interstates are, uh, those are maintained by the federal government, right? So, so they pass Mm -hmm. down funds to the state where they're like, Hey, just make sure the interstates get fixed. Right. Another fun fact, interstates were originally straight and we had to fix them. We had to make them a little swingy because people kept falling asleep at the wheel. Um, but same thing with bridge. So bridges, we have a lot of old bridges that need to be maintained. I mean, it's like the, the bill when I learned this in logistics class, like the bill for updating our infrastructure in America is like something outlandish, like $500 billion, a couple hundred billion dollars. I mean, it's just unreal. But so nuclear power plants are just really outdated. Those, those kind of fall under the infrastructure conglomerate. Like we just, they still work. So we're like, fuck it. I mean, cost benefit analysis. My grandfather said one of the most stable jobs in America is the civil engineer on interstates and roads because they'll widen all the lanes. Right. And then all that road that you widen it at the very beginning is another bottleneck where you haven't widened it yet. <laughs> so, so it's just a constant widening and bottlenecking and just restarting. He's like, it was the best job I could ever get into. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to have to worry <laughs> about it. You know, I mean, I don't know, Joey, like, what, what do you think? I mean, what do you kind of see coming down the pipe over the next five years? Or, or what are you invested in right now? What's your portfolio look like? So my stock portfolio is uh, Tesla, Amazon, Apple, AMD, and KKR. Um, so KKR is basically the number two private inve- private equity firm in the world um, behind BlackRock. Um so that that was just to give me kind of really broad exposure to, you know, a lot of global and emerging markets and, and U.S. markets too. But, um, yeah, so I, you know, I invest behind innovation, um, but I also invest behind strong cash flows and um, 
good management. So I think, and I also own, I own NVIDIA in a, in an IRA in a separate IRA. Um, and then for my crypto, I also own, um, Bitcoin and Ethereum because I really just don't see much else beyond those two. I think that's kind of all you really need to create like the entire crypto like ecosystem. But, um, going back to stocks, um, I see, you know, healthy top and bottom line growth. You know, I see strong um, cash flow yielding, and I see them. Um, they have great products, and they have, and they are attached to like every major growing trend in, you know, AI, robotics, um, but also great management and great management vision and decisions. So, like, you know, you could have you know, a good CEO, they might be able to envision great products, but if they don't know like capital discipline and how to manage the money, like it really doesn't mean much. So you need to have a good management team that knows when to do share buybacks, that knows when to reinvest into certain parts of the business to know when to, um, use their stock based compensation, compensation, stuff like that. So every, every company I buy, like, I love the CEO. I love listening to their interviews and I trust their vision for their company in the future. So you take like a little bit more of an individualistic approach. I mean, you got like broad, like if you're investing into uh, KKR, I mean, that's similar like an index fund, but a little bit more, uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit more specialized. Like those guys are taking a little bit more of an aggressive approach than investing in say like the S and P 500. Something like that. Yeah, and in my stock portfolio is like more. I mean, obviously, I believe in those companies very much, but it's more speculative as compared to like my four hundred one k. Like my four hundred one k would literally is literally just the S and P five hundred. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. And I'm obviously not a financial advisor. I I just like to say that it's opinions, not advice. <laughs> Thank you very much. When we uh, last year in 2020, I mean, when the market really went down, that's when Joey and I were doing so much research. You know, we're locked inside. Let's just do a ton of research and see which companies to get into. Yeah. Oh yeah, let me let me share this. So, my financial awakening was the COVID crash. So, throughout all my 20s, like I was like completely financially illiterate, like. I had a great job and a good salary, but like I was living paycheck to paycheck, bro. Like I had ton of credit card debt. I had a huge car payment. I had like nothing saved. Like I was, I'm like, just what the fuck am I doing? You know what I mean? Like, and when COVID hit, I remember thinking like, holy shit, the world could fall apart. I could lose my job and I have nothing. Mm. And that was like the major kick in the ass I needed to like turn it all around, like pull yourself up from your bootstraps, dust yourself off, start saving money, start, you know, paying, paying off your systematically pay off your credit card, get out of debt, lower your car payments, start investing. And then, you know, you just take one step at a time day after day. And now like I'm in a totally different like financial reality. What I love about that is, and I was thinking about this yesterday, 
so many people listening or watching this could feel like, hey, I'm past my prime. I'm in a place now where I have so much debt. I don't know what to do. There's no way out. You'd be fucking amazed what saving 20 bucks a week can do. You'd be fucking amazed yeah. what setting $100 towards your credit card. Dylan, I remember, dude, when we first met, man, like that was kind of the outlook where you're like, hey, I'm, I'm like coaching on finances and also looking to really up my own financial game. And it's been so mm -hmm. amazing to watch the progress. Like when you set intention to something, just because you're starting there, like we don't give enough credence to compound interest. Where it's like, hey, just do what you can where you're at. Yeah. And then who knows what the next year, three years, five years is going to hold. But I know what it feels like to be in a hole where you feel like even if you put down the shovel, it doesn't matter. You can't climb out. But if you at least put down the shovel, you give yourself a shot. Like when you're scared to look at your uh, bank account. Isn't that the worst feeling? Dude, was, that was the worst. And I lived with that every day. No, no. Worst. How about the the text messages from Wells Fargo that you've overdrawn? Oh, God, your and they fucking penalize you twenty bucks for it or thirty bucks or whatever it is. However many. Yep. Mm -hmm. I remember calling the lady and begging for, you know, I had like five or six of those overdrawn things, and she was like, "Yeah, you know what? We value as a customer, so we'll give you one hundred and fifty dollars back." And I, I was, I had like twenty one dollars in my account. That's what I got to eat with that week. Yeah. And like I, at the start of COVID, like I mentioned, I had high credit card debt. I had a maxed out credit card and they froze my card because like I missed a payment oh, yeah. or two. So I, I made every financial mistake that you can, you could think of. Like <laughs> I, it's just, it's so funny. Like when it's like a paradigm shift, when you go from financially illiterate to financially literate, you just look back and you go, I, what the fuck were you thinking? It's right in front of you. Like, just you do the math, make your budget, fi figure out what each, you know, what your groceries are going to be, what your gas is going to be, what your bills are. Do the math and just stick to it. It's like, you'd be amazed, like, how much you can grow and how much, how many problems you can solve just with that. Do you think financial discipline or physical working out discipline is easier? Well, the physical discipline was easier because, like, I was training jiu-jitsu and I was in incredible shape, but I was broke as shit for the longest yeah. time. I would side you with that. I, mean? I think financial is much more difficult. Like, yeah. if anybody's, you know, still with us at this point and, and you're interested in what do I do, like, I want to speak to the person that I was, say, 10 years ago. The, the lesson that I learned going through that hardship, because Joe, you come off as a really disciplined man. Like that's one thing that I revere about you, right? It's Thank like you. logicizing the reality you live in. And, and that's not the reality I live in. I live in a very emotional state most of the time. You know, like my moods grip my soul, especially when it comes to finances. So what I learned going through my winter, you know, my dark side of the moon was just under no circumstances will I spend more than I make. That's it. If you just fucking make more money than you spend, you'll be in a good spot. Like that's like that, that's the end of like you might yeah. start pretty break even, but what it's going to do is it's going to incentivize you creatively to figure out like, what can I do to earn more money? 
Like I said, do I need to value myself? Do I need to get a new position? Do I need to get a side hustle? Whatever. But if you just draw that line, you'll get so fucking frustrated because you'll you'll realize like, hey, I'm I'm worth more. I can do more. There's other possibilities to increase that. Where you get in trouble is when you think, I deserve a treat. I need a reward. I you know, I need a break. I need a vacation. No. No, you fucking don't. <laughs> you need to spend less money than you fucking made so that tomorrow you can feel good. You don't feel like you're in a fucking hole anymore. Mm-hmm. And the worst part is, though. It's a lifestyle change. It is. Exactly. Everything. You, it's a complete lifestyle. Like you're saying, you, okay, you might need a vacation, but it doesn't mean going to Hawaii. It doesn't mean going to Miami. That means going to the park and relaxing. Lay out in the sun for a bit. I remember we went to um, save some money. What what's that place um, in St. Pete Park and Rec, right? With the uh, yeah Park and Rec. I remember I took Michael where Michael and I went out there one night and uh, I got a drink inside. No, I got a drink outside first. I got a drink, same drink inside, and it was three dollars more inside. And I and I waited five <laughs> five ten minutes. What? For the bar. I kept waving her down and she kept giving me dirty looks. And Michael's like, dude, it's $3. not a big deal. I was like, no, no, I get it. It is $3. But I was like, here's, it is a big deal. He's like, what do you mean? And I was like, no, it's the same fucking drink. So it's the principle when you, it's, it's not, um, proportional, right? It, it's, it's the difference of like, Hey, you gotta have, you gotta have principles. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you're saving percentages, whatever. You gotta look at the bottom line on fucking everything. So the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so I was like, hey, why do you get charged more? And so I ended up getting the drink for free. So, but it's like, that doesn't matter. It's, you got to have the fucking principle of like, look, what, mm-hmm. where's your money going? You got to know where it's going. So in my opinion, I mean, that's kind of the first start, first step. And that's kind of like what I remember when I was trying to come through and save money. I really nailed down, like when I was trying to, get in better shape to where the money was going for food. Like what was the value I was getting back on the type of food I was spending money on? Like, all right, if I'm going to spend, I don't know, let's say $5 on a pack of shitty sugary stuff, or I can spend $5 a whole thing of grapes and a whole thing of apple, you know, how much more you could get out of it and healthier return. Actually, that was like a really good, pivot point for me was that I part of my budget was like deciding like you know what I'm going to basically I'm going to meal prep every week and I'm going to make salads for myself every week and so that kind of helped my physical fitness too is like so now I know exactly what my budget is because I'm buying fucking spinach and chicken breast every goddamn week and it's also (laughs) it's a you know it's in two ways, it's helping me. Like it's helping me, you know, lose weight and you know stay in shape and build muscle and all that good stuff. But I also know my budget, and because I I buy the same fucking thing every week. Yeah. Exactly what I did. Yeah, I mean, you start cooking for yourself. Like that was one of the the biggest adjustments for me in college, where I just realized, like, hey, like it just makes so much more sense to batch cook. And you start getting to working out. It's the same thing. Like mm-hmm. you got to monitor yep. your nutrition. But I mean. It's just easy for us. Like I wanted to reduce it to the simple because it's really easy for anyone that's listening to go like, okay, like, well, that that stuff that's not in my arena. It's like, hey, man, just start where you're at. 
you know, like one of the books that I was talking about, the, the psychology of money. You read that? Oh, I have it downloaded. Uh, I haven't started listening. Great book. I will. Great book. I mean, so for me, um, one of the, one of the things that I held near and dear to my heart before I read the book and just really cemented after, I don't give a fuck what your philosophy is around money. Just have one. Just have one. Mm. Right? It's like, hey, when you can define the sword that you want to fall on, you'll be ahead of 99% of the people in the world anyway. So whether you're like, hey, I, I ride or die on CDs, you know, or savings bonds, like that's just what I think. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> yeah, you see like everyone thinks there's like one way to do it or one way to look at money. But then if you ask the like top people in the world, like if you ask Jeff Bezos, you ask Warren Buffett, you ask Mark Zuckerberg, Elon, they all have a different view of money. Yeah. <laughs> And how they got there completely. Like, um, I know we've talked about this before. Like, Colton, you've talked about, like, the system is built for a path. But you also customize it to how you want to live or how you want to yeah, get like there. like, so many people get mad at, like, well. first off, billionaires. Like, people don't understand how the game works. Like, the reason why billionaires don't get taxed, mm -hmm. well, they don't have any fucking money. All the money they have, it's all, yeah, it's assets, all assets and loans, mm -hmm. right? So they have a shit ton of companies or a shit ton of assets, right? They're just calling them assets, things. They have a lot of things and they go to the bank and they say, hey, here are my things as collateral. I would like a loan against yep. these things. And the bank goes, yeah, no problem. Yeah. So they pay interest on the loan. So that's why they don't get taxed. But their their things right. make them more money than the interest, so it's basically like that is the way. So like, there is a game, you know. Like people get so focused on Microsoft and Apple doing the shell game with Costa Rica and Scotland and you know these different banks and whatever. Like, sure, but the amount of fucking currency that is moving through the world is mind boggling. That's not the thing to get hung up on, right? It, don't direct your fucking energy being mad at these people. Direct your energy towards doing something for your fucking self. Mm -hmm. Learn the game, right? Like when yeah. I sold that house in Tampa and realized because I lived there two years, I didn't have to pay any tax on that money. Fucking nothing. I was like, what? <laughs> well, because you rolled it no. into this new property? No, I lived there two out of five years. Fucking oh, wow. nothing. The spread was healthy too. Hmm. And I was like, damn. What does that even mean? So, but, what? but let's say like, you know, if you bought a house, you put a lot of work into it and let's say you turn around and, and you, and you sell it for, uh, you know, let's say you make 200 grand on a house. You, you busted your ass, a lot of sweat equity and you make 200 grand in profit and you do a 301 C exchange. That's what you're talking about. Rolling it into the next property. That's called a 301 C exchange. So now you take that 200 grand and you buy a $500,000 home. So now you owe $300,000 on that home. Let's say you do some more work on that home. You do some more sweat equity, right? And you put 30 grand into it, whatever. I don't know. Now the house is worth 600 grand, but you owe 330. You can go to the bank, refinance that home, and now you can pull out that money and you can do whatever the fuck you want with it. You get a home equity line of credit. So now the bank's going to loan that to you. Say right now the national interest rate is about 5%. So yeah, hey, no problem, buddy. We'll give you a spread of 70%. 
So they're not going to give you the difference of 330 and 600,000. They'll give you 70% of that value. So it's 270. So they'll give you probably like what? 220,000. You can do whatever the fuck you want with that 220,000. And now that is debt. So that counts against you on your taxes. So let's say that you're a W2, a 1099, whatever the fuck you make 150,000. You go, wait, but I got this big old debt over here. Like, oh, no problem. Don't, don't worry about any taxes. Actually, we're going to give you money back. That is the fucking game. Yeah, America. That's and that's and to bring it back to uh, America and China, I think America will always win because America incentivizes businesses and they incentivize investors. You know, just like you said, if you take out a bunch of debt, you won't get penalized for it. If you are trying to create a new business, you'll get a bunch of tax cuts. You know, if you file an LLC and you know, you report through an LLC. There's like a bunch of different tax breaks there. Like America rewards, rewards people taking risk. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's land, land this plane, fellas. Dylan, what you got? All right, everyone. Well, thanks for coming on, Joey. Yeah, we definitely, I think we just really touched on the cover of like really getting into the stocks and really talking about a lot of other different things that like even in the beginning where we were talking about, I think we could even touch on that later, but yeah, I'd love to come I'd back love to on do it. like a, yeah, a for a sure. We'll definitely have you series on where we have like TVs behind us and have like the stocks going or something like the, the, you know, the Kramer do. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, hope everyone enjoyed the episode. Share with your friends, share it with the ones that you love, share it with uh, the ones that you hate, share it with your family, whoever you want. We appreciate you listening. Subscribe, follow, and uh, we'll get you on the next one, guys.